Hi, my name's Frank McKenna. I'm the Chief Executive and Group Chairman of Downtown in Business. And if you're not a member of DIB yet, why not? You are going to miss out on a sensational September of events. We've got events right across the country and we'll be speaking to some really influential politicians, including the Shadow Business Secretary, Johnny Reynolds, the Shadow Health Secretary, Wes Streeting, and the Shadow Justice Minister, Steve Reid. We've also got the property entrepreneur, Chris Oglesby, doing an event for us down in Birmingham. And we've got a whole range of other speakers, chief executives of local authorities, other business leaders, other politicians, coming in to share their thoughts and opinions with the Downtown Network. You go to our events section on our website, all the W's downtowninbusiness.com, then you will see what a fantastic range of events we have coming up in September. And if that's not enough to tempt you into a membership, then wait to see what we've got coming in the remainder of the autumn. We've got awards events happening in Manchester, Birmingham and Liverpool. We've got the two leaders from Liverpool and the Liverpool City region, Liam Robinson, and Steve Rotherham joining us for a very special breakfast forum. We've got the Education Minister, Gillian Keegan, doing us an event at the Conservative Party conference. We've got Andy Street, the regional mayor from the West Midlands, in a breakfast event with us too. So a whole range of great people, great events, great networking. Join Downtown in Business today. And as I say, visit our website and see some of the fantastic events that we've got for your pleasure happening in autumn 2023. Welcome back to the Downtown Den with me, Frank McKenna, the Chief Executive and Group Chairman of Downtown and Business. And I'm delighted to be launching a new season of the Downtown Den podcast, where we will be focusing on innovation and leadership. And we couldn't have a better first guest to launch this new series. It's the wonderful, the amazing, the fantastic Holly Moore from Make Events. Hello, Frank. How are you? It's great to see you, Holly. And we were just chatting before we came on air about the fact that we did a previous podcast with you either during lockdown or at least not long after. I think it was during because, I, you know, and you can picture it. I can picture being at my kitchen table and been pretty, I can remember pe- feeling pretty crap that day as well. So, yeah, <laughs> I think it was definitely lockdown. Uh, and listen, for those who don't know, tell us what Make Events is about. So Make Events is an events agency based in Manchester delivering the ultimate experience and we pride ourselves on getting seriously obsessed with clients' brands. Um, We deliver all kinds of events across the UK and sometimes overseas as well. So an events business? Yes. A a very impressive events business, but nonetheless (laughs) an events business that you know, you go into a lockdown and a pandemic, then there's not many businesses that would have been as challenged. And what did that feel like at the time, Holly? Can you remember when you reflect back? Yeah, um, I think that it was, um, I mean, it was awful because, um, you know, like two thirds of the business dropped out straight away. Um, And um, we obviously had all our overheads, which is taking on quite big offices, et cetera. I mean, it was horrible. And I isolated on my own. And, you know, the first three months I was completely on my own. And despite having Zooms, obviously with the depleted team, but I felt very, very stuck. I think I realized that although I like my own space, I am much better in a team brainstorming, delegating and leading the charge. And that 
I found that really hard from home and it took me a while to move, really, I'd say. And you say that was three months on your own. Yeah. Um, because I think sometimes we forget because time is a healer. Yeah. Um, how tough that initial period was. And it was tough for people who have family around them. Yeah. So, you know, why me and my wife are still married after that period. <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know how she's still coping. Um but nonetheless, at least you had a bit of company and you could bounce off yeah. people and so on. I remember when you and I had a chat, yeah. then you were literally, you know, on, on your own. Yeah, because my family, um, my sister lives in America, my mum and dad were in the Cotswolds at that point. I was quite scared as well. So I wasn't going to the supermarket. I was doing everything online. Um, I kind of got in my own head, I think, that, well, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it on my own. Um and it, no, it wasn't great. I drank too much. I know some people didn't and were like super healthy. I did make a little gym and did the gym every day, but I definitely drank too much. And some of those habits, um, you know, went long past lockdown, really. Um, and it, it was a horrible time, actually. And what kind of, I guess, saved me was we started doing the virtual events and the gifting, um, which we still do some of now. And my office was like 35 minutes walk from home. And when Boris kind of said, you can, you know, you can work in the office if you need to, there was a need to at that point. So I just started walking into the office on my own just to feel like, you know, I wasn't sat in four walls. Um, and that, kind of is when things start to shift and I started my creative juices started to flow again, I guess. But during that period, I don't want to get too dark uh, because this is a, an upbeat podcast series, but nonetheless, during that period of time, there must have been moments when you were really challenged yeah. and where you thought, is this worth it? You know, oh. just be easy to throw the keys back and, you know, let's wait until we come at the end of this and see what's what's next, so to speak. Yeah, and and would I do it differently now? I think when we went into lockdown, I was very much a people pleaser and pretty soft, actually, before lockdown. And, you know, there's people that shouldn't have stayed in the business as long as they did before lockdown. I would, you know, I'd let people stay long, you know, knowing they weren't right for the business and stuff like that. So there was probably people I kept on in lockdown I shouldn't have done. Having said that, I feel like I did the right thing by people. And, you know, I pay, you know, people got paid that, you know, and had a job. What kind of kept me going was we just signed a five-year lease so that even though I had cash in the bank I would have had to pay all that so I would have had to walk away with very little money um because obviously we made a huge loss that year and although I'd been good with cash and it's only so many months burn rate you've got in the bank so that kind of held me together also not wanting people to lose their jobs um but I oh I definitely thought about walking away and then I the kind of two things that I'd say got me through were I'd been unhappy before lockdown anyway with with work and how it was going so I wanted an MD so that was like point one that's what I'm going to do recruit an MD which I did in the pandemic um and then it was to create anything is possible, which I know we're going to talk about shortly, but um, I'd had this vision before lockdown anyway. And our mutual friend, Paul Cheatham said to me, I want you, you know, what do you want that to be? And I said, an empowerment event and a podcast, and I want to be a speaker. And he said, that's the vision you can hold on to. And I clear as day can picture the, the, the visualization I created, which, you know, eventually I brought to life. So... So you got there in the end, yeah, but it was end. tough. Just pick up on a point that you made there, because I think an awful lot of small business owners uh, have made this complaint to me, and I, I would make it myself, I, I think, but the complaint may not 
be the right word, but nonetheless, something that we look back upon and think, not sure I'd be quite as generous again. Um, because like you, we kept on yeah. uh, all the staff here. Yeah. Uh, we topped up any furlough monies. Some people weren't furloughed, others yeah. were. Um, and I don't think any of them are here now. <laughs> um, and, you know, this is, it is a bit of a moan, I suppose, from my perspective, because, you know, I hear lots of stories about, you know, oh, bosses don't look after the staff and the culture in businesses aren't right. And, you know, people uh, are basically just out for what they can make if they own their own business. My experience is people like you who actually, you know, of course we want to make a profit because we want to grow our businesses. We want to be successful, but you do want to look after the people that work alongside you. I'm not quite sure. And it may just be me, um, whether that loyalty comes back anymore. I honestly don't think it does. And I think that I, I was stung in a few situations in COVID, if I'm honest. And, you know, what I will say is everybody has their own story. So whatever story I've got about certain people, I'm sure they've got their own story about me, whatever. But um, really um, coming out, I had quite a bad experience about 18 months ago. And um, Danny, who is our non-exec, he's actually bought me a thing for the office, which is big girl pants on. Um, And I kind of, um, I have actually become a lot harder. And, you know, you know, with some of the team are like, oh God, Holly's a bit abrupt sometimes and a bit short. And like, you know, I think I am different at the end of it because, you know, you had to make all these tough decisions that you were forced to do. And to your point, I think you, you, you uh, what I finally realized, like I can love everybody to bits. I can want it to be a family. I can create as many opportunities as I possibly can. I'm not perfect by any means, but at the end of the day, like they're going to look after themselves, certainly it, the way that it is at the moment. And so, if it happened all again, no, I'd definitely do it differently. Mm. And final thing before we move on from the pandemic, because obviously an awful lot has emerged since in terms of the evidence to lockdown, whether or not we could have come out quicker, whether it should have been a more nuanced approach. Do do, do, do you look back and think with a little bit of bitterness and, and think, well, actually, do you know, this was a bit too harsh in terms of the way in which we took the economy or, or do you think, look, it just is what it is, basically? I mean, I think we had, you know, no government was ever going to do the right thing. Whoever they were, they were never going to do the right thing because it, it was just too, you know, polarised. Um, but I do have a couple of issues with, I, I've got a friend who is, hugely affected by the vaccine and to the point that it's been awarded money from the NHS part. Um, so I know that's vaccine related, but would I have a vaccine again? Absolutely not. Um, I, but uh, do you know what? No, I just don't know. I, I guess they did the right thing. We're all okay ish now. I know there were effects of it. Um, how was anybody ever going to handle that? with perfection they just weren't were they i don't think what do you think i mean you've, you've got a lot more insight than me i guess yeah, i mean i think that the first lockdown w- was yeah. absolutely the right thing to do because we didn't know what we were dealing with yeah, yeah, yeah. but i think that if you look at the amount of scientific evidence that they were receiving right. and the narrow lens with which they chose to pick yeah. some people's advice over others was for me um not necessarily the the right way to go. And I also think that we didn't ask enough questions about 
the wider impacts of lockdown. Yeah. So, you know, what is the economic impact? What are the long-term mental health impacts? Oh, yeah. What yeah. are the health issues that are emerging now yeah. in terms of cancer patients, waiting lists? I know. Yeah. So I think overall, although I think, as I say, the initial lockdown, I would support, I think what came after that was, yeah. was pretty poor, actually. And, and listen, this isn't a party political point because they were all supporting it and i think again that was dangerous you know the other reflection i make on that time as far as politics is concerned is that there was no real opposition to what the government were doing yeah so no one was holding them to account yeah they were locking us down yeah and you know killing particular industry sectors look at hospitality it's still decimating uh potentially killing businesses like yours and nobody was saying well is this a balanced approach and for me after the first wave, they had enough evidence to suggest that you could isolate the people who were most at risk yeah. and let everyone else crack on. Yeah. And that's the way I think yeah. it should have been handled. But listen, that, that's just my opinion. I know there's people out there who vehemently disagree. And it almost became like Brexit, didn't it? Yeah. If you if you questioned anything yeah. to do with a lockdown, you wanted yeah. to kill people. Yeah. <laughs> you know, what do you think about like all... Um, have you got any views that you... On the vaccine or anything like that? I, I'd like you. You know, I had the first couple. Yeah. Uh, and I was fine, touch wood. And then, uh, you know, I've, I know a few people who, mm-hmm. who've been impacted on it, not as seriously as your friend by the sounds of thing. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's a tough one, isn't it? I mean, I, you know, listen, for me, you know, we live in, a free country, we're told. Yeah. In fact, we were told after Brexit we were getting everything back, weren't yeah, we? Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I think it's up to you. Listen, you pays your money, you takes your choice. My view is that, you know, I'm luckily quite fit, quite healthy. I don't feel as though I'm at risk of those sort of diseases. I don't get a flu jab. Yeah. Uh, not yeah. because I'm anti-vax, but just because I think, well, actually I'm, I'm yeah. quite fit. My immune system's yeah, pretty decent. Too, yeah. So I wouldn't get another one. Um, but if there's people out there who are getting them, good luck to you. But there are, you know, increasingly uh, people coming forward who have got some significant difficulties yeah. on the back of of those vaccinations, aren't there? Which is which is a shame. Mm-hmm. I think it's a minority of people, but yeah. nevertheless, if you're one of those people, yeah. that's no consolation, is oh, it? Oh, it's all bit like my friend generally. He's got um, so it's triggered an autoimmune disease, still disease. So he's lost hearing in one ear, half in the other ear. Um, his eyesight. He's got a disabled badge now. Like we literally thought he had cancer, or we didn't know what it was. Um, and it and it is. There's a part that the NHS have got for any kind of vaccine, actually. And he's been awarded like the top level so you know if the nhs are, are saying is he hasn't sued them or anything that's just come that's come to him yeah yeah and i think when you go for the vaccination it actually has a list of things doesn't yeah, yeah, it that yeah, you can yeah. potentially yeah. be side effects which is the case with, with most drugs and uh, as i say listen if people are going out and getting a vaccination because they're worried about contracting covid absolutely get that equally you know, there's people like you and I decide actually it's not for us, then we should be allowed our opinion yeah, as well. Yeah, definitely. So um, anyway, the pandemic aside, listen, you have incredibly bounced back. I mean, you know, there's a bounce back <laughs> and then there's Holly Moore's bounce back. Uh, and the first sort of um, time we chatted as we were coming out of the pandemic, yeah. I came over to your offices and... Um, I think we did another podcast Um, and, you know, it was clear to me then that you had a determination within you and you could see 
that you were going to survive this thing and you were going to come back. And one of the things I, I first noted is that you decide that you're really going to go for it. Yeah. Uh, and you appeared on the front page of Insider. Yeah. You'd done a load of marketing yeah. work. And then you started to think about creating this new brand. Yeah. Anything is possible. Yeah. Because I'm guessing in your head you were thinking, my life from now on is going to be yeah. anything is possible. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, and we also launched in 2020 HM events, which was the private side of the company as well. So definitely been busy, but with anything is possible. So um, without boring you too much, because I've talked about this on a few podcasts, but in um, 2011, before I started Make Events, I uh, recovered from um, quite a traumatic battle with OCD for five years, um, and um, was led to believe it, you know it wasn't curable. I'd live with it, um, and you know it, it honestly like the effects were I'm not saying I was suicidal, but like I couldn't have imagined living my life with that, if that makes sense. So I, um, but I did recover in 2011 and genuinely at that point I was like, Oh my God, I've literally rewired my brain. I did this really pioneering intensive therapy and I could feel my brain rewiring. And I just thought if I can do this, I can do anything. And that's when I set up, set up make events. And so then that became a bit of a mantra of the business anyway, internally, like the answer is yes, what's the question? Um, and then it just began to manifest into something else a bit deeper. And I think because I'd got well via various different forms of therapy, I'd always really enjoyed personal development anyway, but I'd kind of got me up more and more curious. And so before lockdown, I'd traveled to like Tony Robbins, Oprah Winfrey, like literally absolutely tons of personal development events. And it didn't feel like work to me at all. It was like the best way I could spend my time. And I'd go to them on my own and sado. And, um, <laughs> and, and I just felt like nobody was doing what I wanted to do in the UK. So the, the kind of, I guess the mission of it is, so it's empowering you to believe anything is possible for you at any age through my story and the story of others, because personal development is quite exclusive to like the 20 to 40 bracket. And I want it to be widely available for everybody because, you know, I, I, you know, there's women and men like in their 60s, 70s who go through a massive life change and why shouldn't they get a stab at trying something new? And there's a lot. It's actually now, I mean, I started building this about two and a half years ago, but you know, you see at the moment, there's so much about women in their fifties winning their Oscars. And like, it's a whole like resurgence of like that, 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 you know, what we would call, you know, older age. So I wanted to, it, it to span across all the decades so that people could enjoy the experience with their daughters, their fathers, their brothers, you know, um, and I also thought that all the personal development stuff I'd been to was either laser focused on business or wellness. And I wanted this to capture the wheel of life. So, it, you know, there's eight spokes to the wheel of life, you know, career, finance, personal development, hobbies, love life, family, friends. And so the idea was that you would come to the conference every year and depending on what state your life is in at that point, there would be something for you. So for example, like in 2018, I was getting divorced. So relationship was like my big thing and getting fit and healthy. And then the next year it was career. So I wanted to create this so that, whatever you know it wouldn't be like repetitive year on year um so that was that that was kind of the mission behind the content I guess um but then in terms of the event experience I felt like um a lot of events that you would go to like you know business shows or wellness shows like there's not the aesthetic in terms of the brand experience it might have like 
individual brand experiences. So a wellness festival would have like pop-ups, but an actual curated experience I don't think existed. And it's all about that touch point from the moment you arrive to the moment you go and then the communication process in between. Because unless you work in the events industry, you don't get to go to stuff like that. And so, it, you know, it, the look and feel was majorly important to me, as was the content curation. And everybody came that came when we when we did the event in March was like the content was like insane. But I, you know, it's what I've done all my life. I've planned company conferences, so it was just bringing everything that I love together. So, yeah, I'm bringing a a creative edge, and you know, yeah. you've mentioned the word innovation and yeah. leadership in in terms yeah. of this new series. And I think that you know the event that you're put you just put yeah, together yeah. um you know that is innovative yeah uh, and that's going to be an annual thing is it yeah so it, it started back in september as a podcast um and and this is the anything is possible, this is anything podcast, is possible yeah. sorry yeah so it wasn't i didn't want to do an events industry po- podcast because there's enough people doing that and you know there's a lot of events companies that was good as or better than make events. So that wasn't what I wanted to talk about. And um, I wanted to talk about this empowering you to believe anything was possible for you at any age. And in lockdown, um, we'd done a free event for Anne Summers and the late Jacqueline Gold, unfortunately, who, who passed away recently. Um, I was just, I, I kind of had a new Jacqueline sort of. So when we said we'd do this free event for them, because they were struggling as well, um, I kind of gave my wish list of what I'd like in exchange. And one of them was like Jacqueline to do my podcast. And um, they were like, just to like set your expectations, Holly, like that won't happen. But, you know, um, but a few things happened and she invited me to International Women's Day brunch. She sent, she got me involved in their video campaign for International Women's Day. And then eventually I just got this email one day saying, what day would you like Jacqueline to do the podcast? Now, little did I know um, how special that would be because last July, literally on the week of Make Events 10th anniversary, myself and the team traveled to her beautiful home uh, which you greeted at the door with a massive doormat with a rabbit on, obviously it's to do with the rabbit and summers. <laughs> and we filmed this most amazing podcast and she talked about her cancer journey and her bereavement journey. And um, it, she was just the most phenomenal woman. And, and, and it was special then to have her as my first guest because that's kind of what gave me the kick up the arse to go, well, Jacqueline Gold said yes, I better get on with this. But actually now, even looking back, how special that is because uh, that was one of the last podcasts that she recorded. And um, when they were arranging the funeral, which was only a few weeks ago, they contacted me and said, could we use some of the podcasts, at the, you know, the video at the funeral? So um, I was really privileged and feel even more so now that she was the guest. So that started in September. We were up to season two. So we've had like Joe Wicks, Fred Doan, and then just brands I absolutely love. Um, And then the conference came to life in March um, and we did a lot of research around personal development, um, how popular it is now, like Gen Z, millennials, like that is what they'll spend their money on. Obviously the drinking cultures are a lot lower in, in those generations. So that they want to spend their money on educational stuff. So that's kind of like recreational. But if you talk about corporates and we all know, you know, the great resignation, the change of like the, how people view their work, their workplace and the transitional value they give it. Um, people value and will stay with companies longer if they invest in their personal development. So basically like say I work for 
downtown um, and I'll have all my on the job and company training if my company will support with what you would call the softer skills so the growth mindset the um, you know sober inclusivity at work uh, you know supporting through a challenging time grief or a breakup like if companies will invest in that kind of coaching and development uh, people are, are more likely to stay longer with them. So it had kind of a two-pronged attack. I think, first of all, I thought, oh, all our clients will be buying tickets for um, all their teams to come along, which in some cases was the case. But then actually a lot of um, SMEs and one-man bands were investing because they could put it through their, their business. Um, so we had a mix of corporates and SMEs there. And then what was interesting as well was we gifted quite a lot of tickets, as you do on a first event, and I guess you know that, and influencers. And, and things like my best friends who would never, never into anything like that. Like they think I'm weird. They're, you know, they are, they're like, oh, here she goes again. And, um, you know, they were like, they didn't understand personal development and they were like blown away. Um, so, it, yeah, it, it, it felt like it, I knew there was a need for it before I launched it. I wasn't aware how uneducated people were on what personal development is and what goes into personal development um because people are like, oh it's a bit american it's a bit this and then but then when we delivered it i mean i've had over 200 messages and emails um and honestly frank i can't tell you like i've had people that um one lady said because we did a talk on grief um and that was a keynote that was the whole theater because the whole um kind of content development was You've got a goal. What are the barriers you put in front of yourself? So the barriers you put in front of yourself are finance, time, age, limiting beliefs, habits, consistency. But what happens when the worst happens? Grief. But it doesn't just come in the form of grief if somebody dies. What if you're like my friend who suddenly everything that he thought, like his hearing, his eyesight is taken away from him, that's grief. And how do we deal with that? So like one lady, like I say, had reached out to me. Her mum had passed away six weeks before. She said she spent half of the conference outside crying and something made her stay and watched the grief talk and it's changed her perception. She literally wrote to me and said, anything is possible, save my life. I've had like people that have changed their jobs or asked for promotion. Like it's been amazing. And then what's also been amazing, I think, because of my background in events and I've managed sponsors as you have over the years, I was really determined that even though we did a lot of in-kind partnership and sponsorship, that they all got the ultimate experience and that they all got ROI because I know what, I remember being really young and doing wedding fairs and like, you know, organizing wedding fairs for venues. And if a photographer didn't get any inquiries, I'd get absolutely bollocked. So I was like, I want them all walking away and, 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 have got business from it. And the feedback I've had is like, they've all, you know, the speakers have had speaking engagements Um, people have been selling stuff online, like post event. So I feel like I've really injected a lot of care into it. And I wanted nobody to walk away saying I paid 200 pound a ticket. That was a waste of money. Um, I didn't want anyone that had taken the time out on a Saturday or any of the partners that had set up a stand or anything to be disappointed. And, you know, I'm really happy to say that like everybody has given me phenomenal feedback. So if there wasn't maybe a need before, I think I've created it. And that's surely the best place to be when we talk about innovation. Absolutely. Who are the 
speakers at the conference? Oh, so we had, um, so Barry's Bootcamp were the headline sponsor. So Sandy, who's the founder um, of the UK, uh, was he was keynote. He was one, one of the starting keynotes and that was all about set a big goal because I'd done my first Barry's class in 2017 and wrote in a book, I will work with Barry's. Um, then we had Jake Humphreys and Damien Hughes from the High Performance Podcast who were just like elite. And what was really interesting for me with them was I didn't realise that they struggled to attract a female audience, which I didn't realise because their podcast is like 2 million downloads. Um, so that was great for them. So we had them. They talked about habits of consistency. Then, do you know Holly and Laura from Financial? Yes. Fin- yeah. yeah, so yeah. they did yeah. t- sort your money shit out. Uh, we had Tony Buxton, who's a TV presenter, talking about hacking your age. She's 55. Honestly, look her up because... Or everyone was in love with her, men and women. We were like, oh my God, she's amazing. Uh, we had Joanne Thompson, who's local. She's um, MBE. She lost her nine-year-old baby to choking in nursery when she'd been back in work three days. And she's how she's basically, she talked about living with the missing piece. I'm trying to remember. Everyone. We had Roxy Nafusi, the author of Manifest. And then we had loads of other we had Andrew McLean and Nick Feeney, Andrew McLean's ex-Loose Women presenter, and they talk about midlife. Uh, and then, so we had all these keynotes and then we had like four breakouts as well. So it was a lot of... Was, a lot of other speed. Yeah, there was probably too much to be honest, but I was like, I'll just pack it all in. I don't want people saying they haven't had value for money. <laughs> and that's the thing, isn't it? You do these things for the first time and then you nuance it yes. and the next time you'll do it. Yeah, you refine it. It'll be a little yeah. bit, yeah, it'll always improve, but I'm sure it was fantastic. And I've seen a lot of stuff on social media. I think, I know it was a Saturday and I think Everton were a sale. Yeah. I should have definitely <laughs> come to the conference because I'll bet you we got fucking bees anyway. Um, just... Let me ask you this, in terms of that conference, so I know you've organised it and I know, you know, when you're part of an event, sometimes it's difficult to step outside of it and and, and become a participant in a yeah. sense. Um, but, you know, you've seen some amazing people in the States, like Tony Robbins, I think, is the best at yeah, this yeah, stuff. Yeah. Uh, Oprah Winfrey, you've mentioned. Yeah. Was there anything during the day where you thought, I'm actually learning something here? This is part of my personal development um yes yes although um i had (laughs) it's a whole other story i basically did pretty much everything on my own so that we did a story at the end about how anything is possible nearly wasn't possible so first of january i sold 24 tickets and didn't have any sponsorship and the event was the 25th of march so i'd absolutely nearly killed myself to get this to the stage nearly cancelled it a million times Oh, the anxiety was horrendous. So I was so far in it. I'd written the event plan. I'd done the event design. I'd created the speakers. I'd had some freelance help uh, January to March, but it was almost a a lesson for me. I was host, keynote speaker, interviewing people, and the whole event plan I knew by memory in my head. So I think um, I probably took on too much. Um, What I did, so I interviewed... um, Jake and Damien from High Performance Podcast, which is amazing. And a really good thing they talked about was not delaying your happiness, so enjoying the process. So, you know, which I'm a big believer in, like setting goals, but then enjoying the like the mini milestones along the way. Um, and if I'm being truly honest, that's all I can get. It was a bit of, do you find this when you've hosted events? Like it was so intense the whole day. It's all a bit of a blur. Um, I've been watching the content back though. So that's been good just to take all that in. Yeah, you, you sort of, 
these days it's easier because you can watch the highlights yeah, if you like yeah. because a lot of it's recorded um but i know i've done some fantastic interviews in the past and can't remember yeah. hardly anything i think because you're so focused yeah. on listening to them very intently yeah. the person you're speaking to and then obviously making sure yeah. that the questions that you do on the follow-up so you know i will say i really enjoyed interviewing alistair campbell i've really enjoyed interviewing Michael Hesseltine there, probably the two standouts. But if you were to say to me, you know, well, what were your questions? Yeah. What were their answers? I could give you a couple, but it's yeah. difficult because you are in the moment and you are so focused, as I say, yeah. on, on getting the job done. Yeah, and looking at the audience and their reaction. i tell you who's amazing, actually. We had the chief and editor of Hello Magazine, Rosie Nixon. Oh, one woman. And she'd literally, within the last two weeks, changed her role at Hello Magazine. She's been there years and years and years to be, um, I think she's like chief brand ambassador now. But she talked about a reset and it was, she's coming on my podcast actually, she's brilliant about how she'd done this job that was so, I mean, being the chief and editor at Hello Magazine, you know, you're at the Oscars, you there's nobody she doesn't know. And she's had children and, you know, she's just had this insane job for so long. And then in lockdown started to like consider, hang on, is this what I want? Now I'm having time with my family and everything. And so she then approached Hello with her reset, she calls it, and how she wanted to move forward. And like, the, the, you know, terrified because hang on, if I say I don't want to do that anymore, am I still going to be relevant? Are they still going to want me? Am I going to risk losing it all? Um, so she was fascinated. And so, I don't know because she's a journalist, but so articulate, like the way everything came across. She was brilliant as well. They all were, I feel mean now. <laughs> <laughs> But there's always highlights, yeah. you know, within any event. And sometimes that's quite personal. Yeah. Other times it's just because somebody stands out, yeah. you know, they do come along and yeah. they just blow people away. Yeah. And we've, you know, we've had events. And sometimes not the people you expect. 100%, so, so we did yeah. um, something called Changemakers Live uh, in February in Liverpool. Uh, and a couple of hundred people there. And the... the one of the speakers was, was a scientist and it's terrible. I can't remember her name. I'll have to look her up later. But we announced that a scientist was coming on and you could see people's shoulders dropping in the body language. Thank you. Oh. Yeah. And she was amazing. Really? And afterwards, everyone said she was the best speaker yeah. on the day. I will have to think of a name. Um, but it does surprise you sometimes. And then you'll get other people who you're expecting to be fantastic. Yeah. And they'll underwhelm you. Yeah. And maybe that's because of expectations. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting, you know, if you'd have looked at that lineup you had, yeah. would the woman from Hello have been the person you yeah. just said, she's going to be the one yeah, that... Yeah, yeah. No, it's You so just true. never know, do you? And that goes back to my whole thing about it being um, different every year because I could go one year and... The speaker A resonated with me more than speaker B, but the next year it would be different. So I think that's the whole thing, isn't it? It's yeah. got, that's how why I want it to have such like longevity that you will find. And I don't feel the same. Like I can remember speakers I've seen over the years where it's just been like one sentence. And then that shaped so much of my thinking. When I said before about like falling out with people and um or you know, crosswords in a working situation about their truth, their truth is their truth, and my truth is my truth. That was from a speaker years ago called Blair Cunningham. And he was talking about customers, actually. And he said, your customer's truth is, your, is their truth. It's your truth, sorry. And what that meant is when a customer complains, like we're all like that, aren't we? Oh my God, so <laughs> And you're always on the defensive. And then you're like, you have to, and what he was basically saying is step back. So it doesn't really matter whether you agree with them or not. 
at that moment, that's what they think of your business. And that's what they're telling everybody they think of your business. And so you need to step in their shoes and have the conversation to try and you know, win that back round. And that really resonated. It was just one sentence. It resonated with me that when I have had difficult times with individuals, personally or professionally, it doesn't matter how wrong I think they are. They will think I'm as wrong equally. So who's right? Like, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, how can he say he's right? Well, listen, we're going to take a short break now. When we come back, uh, we're going to talk about the events business, yeah. the events company. Uh, we're also going to reflect on that fabulous hybrid event you put together, which uh, you kindly involved me in. Uh, and I'm going to ask you about your own personal development yeah. and where you are at the moment and where yeah. you're looking to go in the future. So stay with us. We'll be back in a moment. Hi, my name's Frank McKenna. I'm the Group Chair and Chief Executive of Downtown in Business. And I'm here to tell you about a fabulous Business of Sport conference that we're hosting on Thursday, the 7th of September at the Old Trafford Cricket Stadium, the Emirates Stadium. We've got an array of fantastic speakers for your enjoyment, including uh, former footballer turned Sky Pundit, Gary Neville. Now, of course, many business interests as well. We have uh, Jamie Jones Buchanan, uh, former rugby league legend and now he's taking his coaching and playing skills into the boardroom and Montel Douglas, uh, athlete turned bobslayer turned gladiator. Many other great speakers as well along on that day for a conference that's uh, sponsored by Sedulo, by BDP and of course by our good friends from VSI Executive Education. So that's Downtown in Business's Business of Sport conference Thursday the 7th of September Old Traffic Cricket Stadium, go to our website, downtownandbusiness.com, go to the events section, book your tickets now. Welcome back to the Downtown Den, and I'm joined by Holly Moore, who is the Chief Executive of Make Events. Before we get back into the conversation with Holly, I just wanted to, during the break, take advantage of um, having a look at our Changemakers Live 23 conference and reminding myself that it was Rasmita Ravel, who was that amazing speaker that I mentioned in the first part of the programme. I'd hated to have gone through the podcast without recalling her name. So, uh, Rasmita, if you're listening, and I'm sure she isn't she's far too busy as a scientist, but she absolutely, as I say, blew the audience away, Changemakers Live. A conference you're going to speak at for us in yes. 2024. Yeah. Um, so listen, we've gone through, you know, this incredible new brand that you've come up with. Anything is possible. But of course, you know, make events is still. The mothership. Paying pay the mortgage, yeah. as we say. Uh And I just wanted to, again, go back in time, I suppose, but that, incredible hybrid event you put together so tell us about that yeah so in march 21 um again that kind of as we talked about before what do we do there was another lockdown it was still all weird wasn't it it was awful and we people were still not booking events because we never did our first live event till the july so we went 18 months essentially without a live event and that was our business so in March, it was like we'd gone we'd gone into Christmas and Paul, again at Sudilo, had said to me, right, we'll come out of Christmas and I think we need to make a decision. So I hemorrhaging money because I was keeping people in the business. Either mothball or let's or do something mental. 
So you can guess what I did. So we came up with the, the Make Events TV show um, and we did, we essentially produced what would look on the outside, although you're watching on your laptop, like a, a this morning TV show style event to showcase how hybrid events can work. So there was a method in the madness. It was three and a half hours, which is punchy, but corporates were still trying to deliver full day conferences on virtual. So we were trying to show them like it's just about mixing up the content. You know, we were, we were basically trying to showcase the best of the best type of virtual event. So wrote in every single celebrity friend that I've got and co-hosted it literally on, it's still online on our website, on a sofa TV set with Gethin Jones. Um, but the day that we wanted to broadcast, Gethin was just getting his job with Morning Live and he couldn't be there on the day. So we're like, right, well, what if we film the whole show two weeks before? Um, and so then when we, we, we build the TV show as a live virtual event, but what the audience actually saw was any time that me and Gethin were on the TV screens together, it was pre-recorded. And any time I was on my own, it was live. So I had to have the same outfit, same makeup, everything. And then, but the, obviously the audience were no wiser. And then at the end, we did the big reveal to say, Gethin's actually sat home in London. Um, but it was kind of also to prove the point of what is possible with virtual events. And um, yeah, we had a thousand people watch and 83% like stayed online for the whole three hours, which was nuts. It was amazing. Yeah, it was incredible. You know, to say, I, I yeah, was fortunate enough yeah. to, to sort of participate in it. And I didn't know that Gethin was, <laughs> was off in London. I thought it was it was all happening live. Um, so it was an incredible surprise at the end. But I think, you know, the thing I admired about that was the fact that you were trying something new, you were trying something different. And as you say, you were trying to say to the corporate community, we've got to at some point start to get back to some form of normality. And if it means doing some things live, but doing some things like this, then that might be the way forward. Yeah, yeah. And also the beauty of virtual, and we still do virtual now, is that, you know, we do live events where people want a particular speaker and they're not available. And the point with virtual is that you could pre-record everything. So even now we might do a live event, but if there's a keynote speaker, for example, that isn't available on the day of your live event, we can pre-record all that content. And I do think that that is now a feature of events. In fact, Rosie that we're speaking about before from Hello Magazine, she was due to be in person on our event for Anything Is Possible and two days before got let down with childcare. So she Zoomed in for the event. We probably wouldn't have even thought of doing that pre-lockdown so there is a lot of and from a sustainability point of view you know a lot of our clients want american speakers um and you know it cuts on uh, travel and expenses if we can if we can zoom them in has the live events business come back as strongly as you'd have hoped yes and we are apparently make events booking the trend because what a lot of people had was exponential growth last year, which we did. We got back up to pre-COVID levels. However, um, the state of the industry says there's been a little bit of a drop off this year. We've seen the opposite. We've like skyrocketed. Um, and I think there's reasons for that, which we can go into. But yeah, live events are back with a vengeance. Yeah. And 
Give us a flavour of the sort of events that you've organised. Um, so I think we've really grown up actually over the last few years because we, we were always, we're always going to do, you know, parties because a corporate client that you do their big conference for, like they're still going to give you a call when they want the parties and stuff, but we're doing a lot more complex events now. So a lot more about strategy, employee engagement, communication. So multi-day conferences with global attendees, um, brand activations. Um, I've got a brand activation on today, actually. Um Yes, yeah, so a lot more complex, uh, content-driven events with brand execution, I would say. And how much involvement do you have in that side of the business now? Because it looks to me as though anything is possible would be like a full-time and a half oh, job. Yeah, it is. Do you know what? I can't I can't get away from it yet. Yeah, it sounds awful. So I've got a dream of how I want my time to be split, but that's not <laughs> um, happening. And um, because of my kind of... Um, rules i guess around recruitment which we can talk about but um i am pretty involved so i've got and and too involved and 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 just because i'm really struggling to recruit that senior leadership team um so i am really involved like i will jump i i still go to probably 60 percent of the events i might only be going down for like a couple of hours but just to say hello to the client support the team um i still check have direct reports or still check event plans and customer experience i still run the team meeting um i still pick up new inquiries like i'm still very involved in the day-to-day i'm not saying that that's what i want or that is what is right to grow a business but i'm I'm still a little bit chained to the kitchen sink essentially i think i think this is interesting because it's part of the growth challenge i think yeah uh, or growing pains as yeah. some people describe it yeah. and and i think you're probably like me in this way you've reached that point where you're fed up recruiting crap people oh yeah like <laughs> well, i feel awful because the thing is it's like well should it, let me rephrase that because that sounds yeah. rather unkind to people who might have come into our business yeah. and, and are no longer with us it, it sometimes it's not it literally isn't them, it's us, you know, so so it's not always the case when we have to have that difficult conversation with people that it's their problem. It's simply that we are 20 years old now and so the culture that we've got in our business and what we expect, yeah. we're not, we're not going to change. Yeah. And so if somebody can't fit into that, yeah. I'd say it might not, not be their problem, yeah. but then... The difficulty that then gives me is recruiting. You know, the next hire is always going to be a tougher one because I think we are more selective now. Yeah, and I think that, I mean, I was talking to a team about this because we had our away day the other day. Like, I've always been a grafter, and I think that's probably my generation. So, you know, like, I've just always worked to get the job done. Never mentioned loo time. I might have resented it a little bit, but it just wasn't something I would, I would just crack on and get it done. But is that the entrepreneurial spirit as opposed to anything else? Because I, like I said to the team the other day, like you have to have that in you to, you know, to, to grow anything other than a lifestyle business, I believe. So I probably am a little bit of a sergeant major and, you know, I've had feedback that we shouldn't feel bad if we're not going to work late and, um, you know, things like that. And, you know, I'm having to now bend for flexibility because I didn't bend at first post lockdown. Um, so, yeah, I think you're right. I think it is I, I, it is probably me rather than them. And I do say to people when we recruit them, look, working for a founder, 
you know, a founder who's founded a business is totally different than, you know, an events company that's maybe got a board, a number of directors, investors, because they've got like so many people doing everything, whereas we're all still doing a bit of everything. And so when like, I was giving them the analogy the other day, and you'll probably get this between live events and and what happens in the office. And I likened it to TV, and it's like I'm sure in the green room, it's quite. And I was talking about Gethin because he's uh, Gethin Jones is a friend of the business. You know, in the green room, morning live, you know, it'll be the culture they'll be talking through, but. When you get in a live environment, you have one chance to make it right. And if something goes wrong, like for them, they think, oh, shit, I'm going to get in trouble with Holly. My head goes, oh, my God, I could lose this client. Then I've got to get rid of people. Then my reputation, blah, blah, blah. And I, like, I spiral. So I think that I'm I'm almost too close to the business and I've had too many juniors reporting into me because I don't think I probably gave enough value or thought to the fact that I am the boss because essentially I'm a people pleaser. That is my natural nature. So if I'm then maybe coaching or reprimanding somebody, it's probably a really old-fashioned word, but, you know, on a situation within the business, like it's probably scarier coming from me than middle management. So I think that, um, yeah, I think in a small business with a founder still very much involved, I am at that level now where I have to have that 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 leadership in between me and the team because it, it it's just too, it's, it's a recipe for disaster really because I can be explosive, you know. What do you find it's difficult to find the right people? Yeah, yeah. So we made, so my partner um, is now involved in the business. We met through the business anyway, but he's commercial director. And it's not just so as he sees you. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's as bad as me though. We've, I've basically met another workaholic, so that's great, match made in heaven. But he, um, so we do work a lot, but we literally love working together. Like we just love it. Um, but we made a very conscious decision that last year, like we've had 66, no, 72% growth this year, which is just phenomenal and and turnover. And then our margin has increased as well. And we made a very conscious decision that we were going to give everything the last 12 months to the business to get it in a place that we thought it could be and then make a decision about how we take it forward. And we've done amazingly well at the expense of a lot of time of our personal lives. And my dad had a stroke in December and that gave me a bit of a wake up call. But um, essentially now we were like, right, well, we've created enough profit last year that we don't have to rely on investors. We can reinvest ourselves to create a leadership team and we basically came up with our dream organizational chart like who were those roles where had they worked what were they like you know like literally like as if you're on tinder create you perfect partner <laughs> and um, the tinder recruitment yeah, process definitely like wish list and it is really hard because i you know one of the roles we need needs to be in the business day to day because it's managing the team it's kind of naturally probably going to attract a female probably naturally in their 40s and they're going to want flexibility but the team's crying out for somebody to be in the office so it's all those kind of things and then there are still agencies offering silly money in a like we get into a competitive situation especially we're using a recruiter and you know we look good on somebody's you know they're and I think the candidates are going for jobs and saying, oh, I've been offered by Make Events. And then we get into this, you know, it's like buying a house, it's isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And so it is really, really, really hard. And, you know, you'll meet some people here and think, you are really good and I really like you and you've got really good skill set, but you're applying for over what I believe you can do. 
but they don't want to come for the lower job. So I don't know about you, but I'm still finding recruitment a huge struggle at the moment. Yeah, I think it's the same across yeah. the board. I mean, I, I, I think that's some consolation, isn't it? Yeah. Because yeah, if yeah, everyone yeah. else was yeah. sort of hiring people easily, it'd be like, mm. yeah. and I think that the struggle I have may be similar to you is that, you know, we do have a, a no work from home policy. Yeah. Now that's not, to say that we don't allow people to work from home from time to time, but the default is you work from the office. Yes. And I think that's a big difference to, people to, to simply saying, well, you can work from home because, you know, I'm aware of much bigger business than ours who are now saying to me, the culture's going to pass. We've had people who started work for us three years ago. We don't even know them. Yes. They certainly can't know what the culture of the business is like because they've not been in the office. The downside for those people who aren't in the office as well is that if you're not visible, yeah. it's not presenteeism this. This is like if you're not visible, then your boss can't see what you're doing. Yeah, yeah, so the yeah. chances of you getting promotion and yeah. progressing within that business mm -hmm. Pretty limited, really. So it's a two-way street. And I do think over the next couple of years, it will start to change because the other thing that's happening, particularly in London at the moment, funnily enough, is that people are asking to go back to the office. And so I think that, you know, again, from what you were saying earlier, your own experience, you know, if you're sat at home on your, your yeah. own all oh, day, I every day it. staring at a screen, yeah. then at some point that's going to impact yeah. on your mental health yeah. and you think, actually, I... I need yeah. to, to get out of this. So it is tough, but I think it will change. And, you know, again, from experience, and I'm sure you concur with this, is that you're better not making a high than making a bad one. Yeah. Because uh, I've done it. You know what? When they've not worked out before, I always look back and I go, mm, I had a niggle. I had a niggle and I should have. And that's always the way. And with the like working from home, they say, yeah, I've been office first and then we've just done our employee survey and the team we've got at the moment are really good. Um, and they all asked about flexibility. And so I thought what they were thinking was, oh, they want two to three days a week at home. So we had in our minds what we were happy to, and we'd come up with as a management team. Do you know what? I think it's got to be her team their line manager will make a decision on whether that person could be at home with that. And, and it's not set in stone, it's ad hoc. But I didn't know, we had our company away day and what I wanted them to do was shape the flexibility policy themselves. So they went into groups and came up with what flexibility looks like for them. And what was super interesting was they actually reflected back to us what we thought. So they weren't asking for two to three days. What they wanted was that flexibility that if they've got a doctor's appointment or could they save a lot of things one day a week on travel, or even I hadn't thought about it. One of the girls, like she's not that old, but she's paying for dog care, 22 pound a day. And she's in a gym. So it was really nice that, they weren't asking for the world and they've created that policy now. So they own that. They know our target for this year. So I feel like, I think I've learned a lot this year in terms of because people have left and I've obviously had to read their exit interview and that's not pretty reading. Like, so basically trying to make people be responsible and own a lot of our policies and then we can just review. And if, it, you know, the proof will be in the pudding because if we hit our targets, it's worked, hasn't it? Yeah, so. for sure. And I think it's a good way, isn't it, of operating in a business, you know, where you've got that two-way engagement and that your team feel comfortable yeah. to have those conversations. Yeah. And yeah. again, you know, I would hope that's the same here. And I think if you're a successful business, that tends to be the culture yeah. within the company, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah. That people can yeah. say to the boss yeah. or to the management team, look, that you know, if you ever thought of doing it this yeah. way and you will actually take yeah. on board yeah. those suggestions. You, you said something interesting earlier. You said that, 
you know, a lot of uh, businesses in the event industry grew yeah. sort of immediately after yeah. uh, lockdown. And then it sort of flattened out. Yeah. But you've continued that trajectory of yeah. growth. And you said, and there's a reason for that. Yeah. What's the reason? What's the reason? So um, I took on the MD in, and I think it was 2021, end of anyway, within lockdown. And it didn't work out. And not for any other reason that it, it just wasn't the right fit for both of us, I'm sure. Um, so I decided that I would, people that had been really loyal to me within lockdown that maybe weren't quite ready for that next step up, I wanted to give them a framework to be ready because I realized how much value I placed on loyalty and people have been there for me. And there was a, another guy that I'd, that helped me out in lockdown for free, actually, and he's a consultant. So I brought him in as um, our first ever NED. So he bring, brings what he would call bis, big business thinking into small agencies. And then Joel, my partner, who originally came in as a senior producer, he just started taking on the finance for me to help because I was just so busy and he's absolutely brilliant at it. And we kind of say everything I'm crap at, he's good at. Everything he's crap at, I'm good at. So him and Danny have made quite a force. So that's Danny Menon, exec, and, and Joel, who's now commercial director. And I always say like success leaves clues. Now we'd flatlined at a turnover for three years, the same turnover for about three years. And my margin was definitely not high enough at the bottom because that is not my strength, Frank. Like I am not, you know, I don't check the detail of what, you know, all our purchasing. I wasn't being driving down supplier relationship. Like, I just wasn't doing any of that. I, if you imagine I, I'm the top, I'm the shiny brand, the customer experience, the, all the, the jazz, that's me. And all those layers down there, I'm not a good people manager, I'm a good leader. And I'm just not in the, da- I'm, the devil so is not in the detail. you're strategic, aren't you? Yeah, but I'm just not good at the, the layers underneath, yeah. if yeah. you know what I mean. Whereas Joel is. And Danny's brilliant at like, how can I put it? So Danny's amazing at the the pitches uh, with clients, one meeting ahead, all these things like procurement, RFPs, like he's done it all. Whereas I hadn't worked at an agency before, so I only know what I know. We didn't even have a proper forecasting cycle until 2021. Like he's brought all of that in, like, and I've learned so much. So between him and Joel, that's formed the missing piece so I'm the person that's out there where like I'll bring the people in and the inquiries, but then Danny's amazing at converting and Joel's am- amazing at the margins and still running. Joel runs our biggest accounts as well, which he's grown phenomenally. And actually they even fed back the other day. They don't think they would have actually probably spent what they've spent if it hadn't been for Mate because Mate was showing them, or Joel essentially was showing them what they could do. And I think I would have maybe kept it smaller. I don't know. So yeah, so that's been amazing um, having them involved and, and it, it, you know, we've grown 72% turnover, bottom lines doubled. Um, so I guess it's been having, I've tried to bring in the right people and it's not worked and it just suddenly is working so much better now. Sometimes yeah. it just clicks. Yeah. Isn't it? Yeah. And it's weird, isn't it? Because I think I'd, you know, cause I'd started it on my own and, um, Obviously, I met Joel in 2020, and a part of me is like, oh, what are people going to think? Like, they're going to think, oh, she's met some guy at work, she's lost her head, you know, and all that. And you do worry, but then we just loved working together. And bless him, like, my dad's always, like, my sense check. 
Um, and at first when I said, oh, dad, I've met someone from work, he was like, oh, good Lord. Oh. But then as he's got to know, know him, um, it, you know, it's just, we, we are becoming a force to be reckoned with. Like, And it's just so nice for me because having done it from 2012 to 2020, essentially on my own, with no real sounding board and actually like what are you, you know, it's so hard and, you know, I'm so sensitive as well. So when you think you've upset or ruined someone's life or whatever you've got, so doing it, I never wanted a business partner and and I never wanted that and, and still don't, but having that, you know, he's a, a director, but not, you know, and ha- but having that and Danny has just almost wrapped me up a bit and gone, right, come on, girl, you know, you can do this. And I just felt very alone before, which I know a lot of business owners talk about, don't they? It can be a, a lonely old place to be, can't yeah. it, when you're in business. I, I often wonder because, you know, I would never have, when I was involved in politics, I'd never have thought I was going to be a business owner. Yeah. And I still don't feel like a business <laughs> owner. I've only, I've, you know, it's only 20 years. So. <laughs> This time, it's but funny I, how things feel new, even though yeah, they're not, even though it? yeah, and and I think well, I think still, you know, a, a lot of people would refer to me as a politician before a business owner, to yeah, be honest. But you yeah. know, I think one of the things that you've said that resonates and will resonate with a lot of business owners is that you know my partner's got her own business, yeah, and so it's very easy and comfortable for us to discuss business issues and, you know, she bounces things off me and and vice versa. And she does bits with you guys, doesn't she? Yeah, she's she's one of our, you know, our partners, as as we call them. She provides, you know, HR advice to a lot of the people that are in our network. But I think equally, you know, that just running a business and those challenges that we've talked about, you know, recruitment, how do you handle lockdown? What do you feel like when somebody who you you feel as though you've gone the extra mile for decides yeah. they're going to hand the notice in yeah. and, you know, all those sort of things that only a business owner yeah. can, can feel. Yeah. And, you know, I do wonder whether, you know, if you're with somebody else, whether you just do the editing, you know, <laughs> because, you know, yeah. if I was going uh, home to somebody who didn't have their own, but who's basically nine yeah. to five, leaves the job at the door, yeah. comes home and all they want to do really is yeah. have a glass of wine, watch yeah. the telly and talk about crap. Yeah. Uh, whereas I'm sure you're the same. You know, yeah. Vic and I will yeah. spend a lot of time talking about our respective yeah. businesses and it does help, doesn't it? Yeah, because I think like we have like super interesting and intelligent conversations and like, well, you know, we sometimes finish work late on a Friday and we'll go, let's go for a or go for a bite to eat and like, de- you know, debrief everything. And I... He sometimes works longer hours than me, and I'll have to say to him, "Look, stop now." Um, but yeah, I do wonder how. <laughs> I think as well, it, you know, it is part of the attraction as well. Like, if you love work and you find work really interesting, and you know, I, I've always found people, whether it's friends or you know whatever, attractive. When like, I love friends that want to talk about business. So actually, I feel super lucky, and um, and we don't. You know, we don't argue about work. We might have like a discussion. And that's the only thing we would probably, uh, you know, it, not argue even, but just like, you know, a little a little thing. That's probably the only thing. But um, it feels so good 
building something for a common goal, really. Um, and yeah, it is it. I, 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 but I did want to meet someone that I found their job interesting. There was definitely one thing when I was single, I was like, I really want to find someone that I'm interested in their job because I love business so much. Like I want to be interested in what they do. So had they been like, I don't know what I would class as a boring job, I better not say. But if it's been something that I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, because I would have learned something then. So I'm not very good at stuff like that. Um, uh, yeah, I think I definitely needed to be with someone that I would find it really interesting what they do. So... Personal development, big yeah. thing to you. Yeah. And I wanted to ask you where you felt were, where, where you felt where you are in terms of your journey now, because, yeah. you know, you've gone through some really tough times, both in terms of you know, your OCD that you've talked yeah. about and you, you spoke about that on our yeah. previous podcast. We'll put a link to those previous podcasts in the bio. So if you want to go on to those, please feel free to do so. You've then gone through, as I say, the pandemic where you had that period of time when you were very isolated. Yeah. You had a little bit of an unhealthy relationship with drink, I think, yeah. from, from yeah, what you yeah, were saying yeah. earlier. Don't want to put it any more strongly no, than that. Yeah, you're, yeah, not, no, I'm happy to share. you're not walking in yeah. like, you yeah. know, yeah. Patsy out of absolutely fabulous. But nonetheless, it was yeah. something that you were conscious yeah, of. And yeah. therefore, to me, that was probably in your head at yeah. least a problem. Yeah. Um, so where are you feeling now? Are you feeling sort of comfortable in your own skin now? Yeah, well, it's really funny to say that because I think the thing with the alcohol was, um, so I, pre-2020, uh, well, 2018, I did five months, no alcohol. And then I was very careful about how I drank. Like I was always like, if I'm going out, it's planned. I might, you know, I was really good, like pretty good with it. And um, I just wasn't in lockdown, really wasn't um, at all. And then come out of the pandemic and those habits stuck and it was you know to, to somebody else this might be totally normal but if I give you like an example of a week it might be I'm really stressed on a Wednesday I'm gonna have a glass of red wine when I get in um oh it's Thursday um a client's come in for a drink let's open a bottle of Prosecco have a Prosecco Friday gin Prosecco because it's Friday night Saturday some wine because we're going out for a meal so there wasn't really a week I hadn't drunk which was you know, and I tried to do dry, dry January a couple of times and didn't make it. So, and then what I also noticed was I was drinking quite fast because I think I've been so stressed the last three years. So when it came to have a drink, I was drinking pretty fast and I'm only not very big. And so it like, you know, it, I could I kind of I feel awful saying this, but it wouldn't be that I drunk that like loads. But then at the end of the night, the next day I'd be like, oh, I just can't remember that little bit. So it definitely wouldn't say I was an alcohol. I definitely wasn't alcoholic. It was social drinking. But what, and, and you know what, that actually isn't a bad amount. It's actually fine. Friday, Saturday night, maybe a couple in the week. What the bad thing was, was I write my diary every week and I reflect. I've got like this um, Brendan Bouchard when you reflect back on the week. And every week I was putting, oh, I'm annoyed with myself. I drank again. So it wasn't necessarily the amount of drink. It was the the way it was making me feel after. And um, so it was get it was getting to me, and I felt like I couldn't. If there was an occasion, I knew I was going to drink, and I'd almost be dreading it before. Does that make sense? Mm. Like, I know I'm not going to not drink, but I know I'm going to feel a bit shit after, sort of thing. So when I got to um, January, my dad had had a stroke, which I do think alcohol will have had an effect on that. Um, I decided I need to do something. And not, like I say, I don't recall like I was an alcoholic because I wasn't. It was more about all my health and fitness as well, because on the back of that, I think I was getting a bit of an unhealthy relationship in terms of um, 
food in the sense of, because I've worked such long hours, you know, at 10 o'clock at night, I'd be grabbing sugar and chocolate because I'm still in the office and, you know, oh, well, I won't have breakfast in the morning, but I'll grab two protein bars. So I just wasn't healthy. Inflammation was off the scale. I was getting injuries. IBS was horrendous. So although on the outside, I I would pitch myself as a healthy person. I'm a gym bunny and look at me. I don't think internally I really was. This is like literally only January. So with the conference, anything is possible in 25th of March. It wasn't about being slimmer or losing weight. It was about getting on the stage on the 25th of March and not feeling I'd let myself down. So I joined um, a group, their local actually called Lifestyle Lean. Um, and I went, and a lot of people join it for transformations. You know, they want to lose loads of weight. Well, I didn't have weight to lose really. But I went to them saying, I want to change my habits and I need, I'm the kind of person that's accountable and I need support. So although their whole thing is fitness and weight loss and all of that, it, of course, if you're going to lose weight, you've got to cut down alcohol. So I joined their group three months ago and it is so much more than what I thought. Lifestyle lean is literally about leaning up your life. So it's full of business people. It's all about like wholesome, much more wholesome lifestyle, taking joy from like the, you know, the, not just alcohol and going out steps, healthy food, meal prep. It sounds, it sounds silly, but it's like giving me like a, so in terms of personal development and what I mentioned before is you need different things at different stages of your life. I needed to get in control of my wellness to be able to think in the way that I wanted to think for the business. I mean, I could do a whole podcast on this because the changes I've made in the last three months are just phenomenal and it's reflecting in every area of my life. And don't get me wrong, I was stressed to hell yesterday and all I wanted was a glass of wine, but I didn't. Um, and I haven't cut out drinking at all. I've just changed my relationship. So I def in the last, like, well, since January the 1st, I've not reached for a glass of wine because I'm stressed. I've done other stuff. Um, but I could wax lyrical about it all day. But so for me, that's my personal development piece at the moment. And it might be that that'll change at the end of the year. And I might want to get a business coach. Do you, do you know what I mean? So, so that's where I'm at at the moment and what's helping me at the moment. And so the final question is the obvious one, really. What's next? I mean, is there anything? What else can you do? Oh, I'm sure you? you've got massive plans. Hold. So the big focus for me now is this recruitment of leadership team. So if anybody's looking to join an events company in a senior role, that's the big focus for me at the moment. Um, with anything is possible, it was obviously a huge financial investment for me round one because these things always are. I believe I've proved the concept now and I've got brands interested in sponsoring. Um, so really it's to build the pitch deck for that to get like the sponsors, the partners. So it starts to cover some of its costs to eventually become cost neutral. And that's a huge passion project. And it's really nice to be doing something I mean obviously and that's why Joel and Danny are good because they can watch the pennies but um it, it you know there's a lot of people that say isn't it all these podcasts you listen to when you do something from the heart that really has a purpose for you the money will come eventually because you're doing it with the best and rightest of intentions and genuinely that's why I'm doing it like I utterly believe it works and people can improve their life at any age and you absolutely love what you do. Yes, I do. I have, and I'll tell you what else has really taken off as well, unwittingly. So HM Events is my private party company. And I only do 60 events a year for like CEOs, MDs. I've not, I don't even advertise it. And that's honestly gone crazy. So I've got to recruit somebody to help me on that. So I think I've got enough, enough to do for a while, do you? <laughs> yeah. It's been fantastic talking to you. Your enthusiasm for what you do uh, has shone through today. And I'm sure you won't mind me saying this. Um, you are 
Act Two, the bouncy, jolly, (laughs) um, positive Holly that I knew pre-pandemic. And I'm not necessarily saying that you ever lost your commitment and determination because you never did, but I think you had been battered and bruised a little through that pandemic. Mm. And, and, you know, it's great today to see you back, as I say to you, 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 your, your old self, if I can put it that My mum calls me a bouncy ball, so hopefully I've bounced back up. <laughs> Absolutely fantastic. So that's Holly Moore from Make Events. And that podcast, uh, it's uh, it's in the bio. So listen to the previous interviews we've done with Holly, but also um, have a look at what she's doing now because uh, I've listened to a couple of oh, them. They are fascinating. You. And um, the one with Jacqueline Gould oh, in yeah, particular yeah, yeah. Is, is well worth a listen. So thanks very much. And uh, next week we'll be back with another leader and innovator. But in the meantime, uh, have a look back into the archive of the Downtown Den podcast. Some fantastic guests, uh, but you know, none quite as bouncy <laughs> as Holly Moore. Thanks, Holly.